everyone, and welcome to Autism Office Hours. Um, so happy to have you all here today. I am honored to be here this morning. This is Laurieann King, and I am stepping in for the amazing Jamie Swalby. Um, Jamie Swalby and Debbie Montana have been the uh, the staff that have been coordinating this effort and have been reaching out to families to ask their questions um, in, in various communities throughout the state of New Mexico related to um, various titles. And the title for today is A Different World Awaits, Re-Entry Considerations Post-Quarantine. And we have a wonderful group of professionals um, that I would love to introduce. We have Dr. Seema Jacob, Dr. Peggy McLean, Felicia Navarez, and Dana Demos Curtis. And if you all don't mind, can you just uh, briefly introduce yourself? Sure. <laughs> I guess since my name was called first, I can go first. So hi, my name is Seema Jacob. I'm a psychologist with the UNM's Early Childhood Division, and I specifically, you know, work as a diagnostician clinician in the birth to three assessment clinics. And I'm also a therapist in the infant mental health therapy programs for young children five and under. You can go next. I'm Peggy McLean. I'm a clinical psychologist um, um, at the Center for Development and Disability. Um, Seema is my colleague, um, and we both work in the early childhood division. Um, I work in the FOCUS program, which is an early intervention program. Uh, and I also oversee a home visiting program uh, from NICU to home. So I work with a lot of families who have special needs as they transition home from the hospital um, and throughout childhood in the early intervention program. My name is Felicia Navarez. I work with uh, UNM CDD on the autism school team, which allows me to go out throughout the state and travel to support schools and teachers, administration, um, on how to best educate children with autism um, and how to support them in the school setting and the home setting. I am also a special education teacher for, um, I was in the classroom for eight years um, and I'm really excited to be here today. Hi, my name is Dana Dimas Curtis. I'm um, one of the social workers in the Autism Spectrum Evaluation Clinic team, and um, I am usually providing support to families before and after a child goes through um, the clinic about clinical evaluation for autism. So. Um, a lot of the support that I've been providing lately is around, you know, kids being at home instead of being in school and um, changes in their routines. So I am happy to be here as well. And thank you all for being here. And and um, and Dana, you're you're leading us beautifully into the the conversation today. I again am Laurieann King and I work on the resource team, the Autism Family and Provider Resource Team. Um, and I'm also a parent. I have a young man uh, who's a young adult with autism. So um, I know that this has definitely been a, um, a theme in, in our life. And from what I understand from talking with other families, this has definitely been uh, 
a lot of, of themes in many lives. So the, the first question that we received from families was, um, how do I teach social distancing and refraining from touching or licking things? And I think that is a, uh, a uh, very important question. Again, I'll read it one more time. How do I teach social distancing and refraining from touching or licking things? Uh, a very common question that, that we're hearing right now. Do you all have any thoughts on that? I think it's a hard one. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I will say, I mean, I, um, I just had the experience of for the first time in almost three and a half months of taking my own kids out uh, six and eight um, for a dentist appointment, uh, which is probably not the outing that they want to do post <laughs> for their first outing, um, where they, I had to kind of introduce a mask and talk to them about it. And, um, and um, I will say, I don't know how successful we were, right? Um, every time I turn around, they were touching it. Um, I, and um, they were touching everything. And so it made me realize like, wow, I really need to spend some time kind of really explaining to them and also practicing, you know, um, what uh, it looks like. And so there's like an, at least, and so again, with, with my children, there was this novelty and excitement about it, right? Um, and uh, with a lot of the kids that we work in our program, that's also been part of it, that they're the, you know, the parents are, are buying like these cool masks that may have their favorite characters on them. So they get excited, which is a great thing um, because it is scary for them to kind of re-enter in some ways like our social world with everyone wearing masks. And so, but at the same time, how do we, how do we teach them that like they can't touch it? And so, at least from my own personal experience and what working with families, what we've talked about is how do we actually practice for periods of time before actually going out, which is what I did not do. Um, and, and how do we actually talk about like, like, okay, instead of touching your face, you can touch something else, right? Your shoulder and so on, which is hard. This is where like social scripts might be really helpful or stories and kind of games where you might be able to, to actually practice how long can you go without touching your face, for example. Um, and so these have been some of the things we've been kind of playing around as a team also to help parents. Um, but I will say it's a really hard kind of task. Uh, I, love, I love that answer because it's so, um, it's really helpful for me because I think on two ends, one is I love the ideas that you shared, but I also love you saying like it was something that you like realized afterwards. And I, and I feel like that's where a lot of parents are. And I can relate to that myself of going, okay, this isn't working. And then somebody making a suggestion. And I think we, it's just giving ourselves some grace during this time. Um, and, and knowing we're in a new territory and new places. So I love that. I thank you so much for sharing those ideas and also for sharing it in that way. I really appreciate that. I think, you know, I love what Peggy, you know, was saying, right? It's really hard. It's, you know, this is a new normal that we're sort of re-entering back into society with new norms of being and safety, you know, and, and I wonder too about parents, like what kind of narrative they want to give their children 
um, you know, the idea of having a social story. What is the narrative? What is the story that you're going to tell your children? Children love stories, right? We, we pass on our values, our themes, I mean, through stories. So stories are so enriching in our own lives. You know, no matter what culture we come from, no matter what families we come from, we have stories we pass on. So thinking about this also as what is the story that you want to tell and prep your child with? Not with the intention of making them scared, but normalizing this and sort of giving them the idea that we're doing this to make each other safe, to keep ourselves physically safe. And whatever means that your child and your family is comfortable, you know, be it social stories, be it with pictures, be it with actual doing, I think is very important for the families to sort of think and sit and do this as a family together. And I think an under, an other underlying piece to it is modeling to children, right? Whenever you go and come back, are you modeling washing? When you are outside, are you modeling six feet? Because again, children learn through the doing and mostly doing of the adults around them. So recognizing also that the power of modeling that you have in your children's life and how you are sort of keeping physical safety and ensuring physical safety of yourself and your children. Mm -hmm. uh, that's wonderful. And just the piece of thinking about what is the, you know, what is the story that your family, how do they want to tell it? And what is the story that they want to say? That's, it's beautiful. And I think it also normalizes the fact that we're all trying to figure this out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whether you're a person with autism or not, it's, we're all trying to, to figure this out. So thank you. That's, it's really helpful. I think I just, um, so Peggy and Seema, I think you said two key words to me that just stood out, which was practicing and modeling. So practicing before we go out, um, maybe it was that we wear a mask during one of the games we play at home so that it's, we're getting used to that, okay? So that's something that we're normalizing, even if it is in our home setting, but we get used to wearing that mask. I know I I can only wear it for a little bit at a time, I just for small amounts of time, because I feel claustrophobic and I just, I can't breathe. Um, but practicing it when it's okay to take it off and touch it and when it, all of that is safe. And then Seema, you talked about modeling. So modeling what you want your children to do, which is great, but I'll, all I would add to that is just add some type of a visual. So maybe, mm -hmm. maybe stick your arm out and say like, oh, okay, that's a perfect distance between you and me. Thanks friend, whatever it may be. But just adding that model and one that helps us because I have like no social bubble. I'm just like, hey, hi, hi friends, how are you? Um, but teaching our students some type of a, not a measuring system, but just that visual of, okay, this is my space. Thank you for being in my space there. Thank you for not being in my space. You know, what can we do now? Um, and just adding to that, but I think those were really good points. I think um, what you bring up, Felicia, I think is really big. It's funny. I, um, one of the games that we've been doing at least is that I think has been helpful is, and at first I, it, my husband actually implemented it and I was listening and I was like, oh, actually is really really good and also funny because again like how do you have games that they're willing to do that like like washing your hands for 20 seconds is actually hard like a long time. I mean, even for adults like I am like are you kidding me like now I have to 
brush my teeth for how many seconds and wash my hands for how many seconds? Like this is for an impatient person that's not really helpful. And most kids are impulsive, right? And so, um, and so he's been like, like he taught them to, to like sing happy birthday to coronavirus. And so, so they sing happy birthday uh, to coronavirus, which like I was listening to it, I was like, okay. Um, and, uh, but they like think it's hilarious and they actually are doing it and, and they complete it. And it's kind of now become a new routine where you wash your hands, you sing happy birthday to coronavirus. Um, and, um, but whatever works, like, and we've been like also doing this, like how long can you go to not touch your, like depending on the age of the kids, sometimes they love to say how long, like before you talk, who can be, you know, who can be quiet for the longest or who can hold their breath, right? Like they, and so with older kids, we've been playing this game where it's like, who cannot touch their face for the longest, right? And then, um, and so that they start to kind of like have, and the younger ones can then watch the older ones play and like help them also become aware of how often we touch our faces. So then when you walk into the, whatever it might be, uh, you can say, now remember we, we wash, we, we touch our hands, we touch our face so often. And now we have to play a game of not touching our, our, our face until we get back in the car, you know? And, um, and even giving some positive reinforcement around that and just being like, you just won bonus points because you did it for one full minute, you know? And just trying to make it fun before you actually go out. Because like I said, I didn't do any of that and it was not a good experience, you know? I think I love like some of the ideas coming out of this, right? Because it's it's not just doing something, but trying to make it more fun and, and integrate it into what you're already doing. And so in that sense, you know, you can, don't limit yourself with how creative you can be with whatever means you have, whatever daily routines you have. And that it, this, this can be fun, you know, even though it can be as scary or unpredictable as it is, I, I think you can make it, you can, you can make it fun and you don't need tools or you don't need things that you have to buy. Like you can, you can get creative with this. I love the the happy birthday coronavirus. <laughs> I I think that's great, and I and it is fun to you know to think about those some of these ideas in a fun way that relates to your family is just wonderful. And I know too, just as a complete side note, that we do plan to have resources available for families that are attached to this webcast. So. Um, Dana, do you have any thoughts on that? So um, one of the things that I really feel like is super important to remember is that um, making it a habit before it counts is incredibly, like when you're trying to like promote your kids' healthy activities to come up with all these games, but make it, um, something that we do all the time before it really matters. So, you know, I was thinking of the, like, trying not to lick things um, and, like, trying to help kids have the habit of, like, we can only do this at home or we can limit this to certain places only, which, like, it has benefits way beyond coronavirus. <laughs> Um, it makes it more socially acceptable as they get older. 
what they're doing. Um, and so like quietly um, introducing those habits that will make it easy to transition when it's um, farther down the road and we have more interactions with people. I, I like that, Dana. And I, I really like, you know, two of, of, you know, trying to make it doable. So understanding like, you know, maybe it's going to need to be in certain places, but, you know, perfection is not something that any of us really are, you know, may not be in our, any of our uh, abilities to do. I, you know, I keep thinking as a parent about how, um, how hard it is sometimes just before COVID to think about the, understand the social norms and the social rules. And now we've stepped into this COVID world and all of those social rules and norms have changed. So it's like, and I don't even know what, I don't, you know, I think everybody's got different uh, definitions of that. And in regards to this question, you guys all have really helped me as a parent. Um, you know, I think of the flip side. I think of the flip side that we've run into of how do you deal with others who are not following the rules that you have in your mind? Like, I know that six feet, but this person is getting two feet away from me. And how am I going to deal with that? Or I'm on a walk and somebody um, is is walking too close to me without a mask on. And those are some of the challenges that, that we've had. But what you guys have talked about, I, I definitely, I think will be really helpful for us because I think we can think about making it fun. We can think about practicing, about talking about it ahead of time. Um, so I, I really, that's great, you guys. Very, very helpful. I think what you bring up, Lorianne, is really important. Like one of the pieces that's always on my mind is that we also know that like our world is not always um, kind or patient with kids in general, especially kids that may, may be more impulsive or maybe have a harder time understanding what, what the rules that adults have created, right, in the social, in a certain settings, right? And so one of the things, and now we're kind of experiencing them because the rules have changed. And when we have, we think that an adult is not following kind of the rules that are now there, then we also have our own experience around that. But I think that families, it's particularly hard, right? Because the rules that have always been there where it's like, um, where we expect kids to be quiet and not run in the store and not lick things and not throw things, right? And now the rules are even more stringent, right? And so part of that, what it makes me also bring up is that it's really important for parents to kind of prepare themselves for going out with their child as well. And knowing that, that it, it is gonna be stressful too. It might be stressful, it might not. And all this preparation might work and might, will work, but will help. But at the same time, everyone is stressed out right now. Everyone has a layer of, of anxiety and that it might play out as well, right? And so I think um, my hope is that people are patient as well, especially for kids who they're, who might have more challenges in understanding how the world has changed, right? Um, and so, but for parents to, to really prepare themselves around like they may, when they go out with their child, it might be, um, it, that they may also feel some anxiety and how do I also take a breath? How do I regulate myself? 
so that um, I'm able to kind of think and problem solve in the moment, right? Um, including for sure having like having antibacterial like hand sanitizer with you and knowing that your child will touch something, right? <laughs> that um, that the, the, the gold standard is not that they're not going to touch something because that's almost impossible to, to ask of a child, right? And so having it ready to kind of, you know, um, problem solve quickly, but it is going to be, it is hard, you know? Yes, and overall, we want to support our students and families and set them up for success. We want them to have a positive outing experience. And mind you, not every outing is going to be positive, um, but there will be positive parts to the outing. So maybe it's when we go out, maybe it's that we carry our favorite stuffed animal or a stuffed animal that we're able to wash so that our hands are occupied and we're holding that stuffed animal. Maybe we're not touching everything around us. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's that we have um, some type of like a lollipop or a sucker that we're able to lick rather than licking other things around us. And yes, it might not be ideal to be giving our children a lollipop every time we go out. Um, but I mean, that can change and that can be modified to what is okay for parents and what works for parents. Again, that might be different. It might be a pickle that, that keeps that individual and that child mm -hmm. interested. Um, but I'd much rather have that individual licking that pickle or licking the popsicle or the lollipop um, that might help them keeping from licking something in their environment. And that can help set parents up for success if we can just provide um, different examples and different things like that. Uh, I love that, you guys. And, it, and those ideas like are so, it, to me, it seems so doable. Like that, those are, those are really practical, wonderful ideas. And I also like, Peggy, what you were talking about, because I do think as a parent um, that sometimes I get, um, you know, I think part of the challenge of going out is, is about my, my child being successful and, and I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself around that. So I, you know, I love what you guys are giving practical ideas. And also I think it's acknowledging that this is really, you know, this can be a lot of pressure on parents and to, you know, be kind to ourselves. Um, the, the question, the, the next question, and this is going to be pretty similar, and I know you all, we kind of touched on this, but maybe we can kind of add this to the conversation is, how will I get my child to wear a mask? So this sort of feels, feels like the gradual thing that is definitely, like for some kids, it's, it's so, um, like they hate the feeling of, a thing pressing against their face or maybe the fabric or the um, paper or whatever it is. And I think um, gradual introduction of the object into their everyday life before it's a big deal um, is helpful. But like, I think your, your idea, Peggy, of that, you know, you make this into a game is also really, really helpful. So like, how long can we keep on our mask? Um, or how long can we touch it? Because like maybe for that kid, it's, it's a really big sensory issue and they just can't deal. So it's really about like getting them to touch it first, getting them to hold it, um, move the strings around or, you know, however it's 
attached to the face or head and um, getting them to really interact with it. It might be a slower process, but um, once you get them to hold it on their face, then, you know, work gradually up to, they're using it as long as they're supposed to out in the community. That's amazing. Uh, and they, Which takes it, a lot of prep work. It takes a lot of baby steps. And I, I'm yeah. our OT, our, one of our OTs in our program who, who was talking about this of like, like what are the steps progressively, like touching, playing with it, trying it on. Um, but for families who are under three and are involved in early intervention, this can actually be a goal on your, on your IFSP as well. And you can have a team helping you through, through telehealth, really working towards that and amazing occupational therapists, social workers, developmental specialists who can be helping you kind of like make a plan, knowing your child and knowing what the challenges might be for that child. There are different options for masks, for example, a bandana instead of an actual mask, right? So, so for some kids that might help with the sensory piece around their ears or like the constraint that it feels that air is coming through. And so how do you also build a team that might help you problem solve around that too? I'd like to pose a question to the team. Um, does anybody know what that age is to when a child needs to be wearing a mask? What is that cut off to? Because I know um, there's an age that it restricts too much oxygen for them. The CDC recommends that kids under two do not have to wear masks. And so over two, um, and our, our chair of our department, pediatric, we, I, like, I guess um, Dr. Moriarta asked why under two, should, because it's also kids under, under two will absolutely touch their mask all the time. <laughs> so there's <laughs> both the constraint of the air, but also a realistic developmental expectations, right? What do we expect of a, of a two-year-old, of a three, of a four-year-old, any child? Yeah. Thank you, Peggy. I think the other piece, you know, that was echoed early on around creativity is also you can make your own mask, color them, make them, you know, as creative and fun and involve the child in sort of having a mask that they've created. So again, do not limit yourself with sort of how creative you can get with that. And like Peggy and Dana was saying, right, like you can try different kinds of mask. It doesn't have to be the one with elastic. It doesn't have to be the one that is Sort of looking like a surgical mask it can be cloth bandanas it can be it can be anything that is like a face covering and experiment that with people who are specialists in your life or or try different things i have also seen mask wearing um as a topic in social stories um and so like they have ones that are geared more towards adults and more towards children um, and so like some of them might have more pictures um, for the little ones or maybe somebody who reads less um, to try and help normalize how this would work. Uh, and I think that might be really beneficial for some people with autism. And parents who are listening, if, you're, if your individual, if your child um, is not wearing the mask but they'll touch it, that is still progress, okay? So it doesn't necessarily, the full mask on and over the ears and covering your face does not mean 100% complete success. Like that's not the only way to get there. If your student is touching it, if your child is holding it, if they're licking it, you know what? That's fine because 
we're making progress towards that. It, you're, the end goal isn't the final part and isn't the part, yes, that we would ideally like to get to that, but if we can get to holding it, that's okay. Holding a ma um, Wearing a mask is scary and it is not the best feeling. Even us as adults, not many of us are fond of it, um, but if you can get your child to hold it, come near you with it, that's progress too. So don't forget and don't not count that that progress that you're making with them as well. Uh, such good ideas, you guys. Oh, those are so, that's so, so helpful. And I also appreciate um, the, the comment, Dana, that you made about resources for children versus adults. And I think that's all important to keep in mind. I also like what you all brought up about, you know, what you were just saying, Felicia, about, you know, um, to, to, again, give yourself some grace and, 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 you know, little by little, we'll get there. And then um, lastly, I do think acknowledging that just like you all today, like I was just sitting here going, I wish I could have this team, <laughs> this team at my house. <laughs> um, you know, and just thinking like that, where are the, where can, is, are the supports for my family? And you um, listeners can call the Autism Family and Provider Resource Team, which we will have in the resources. Um, and we can help you connect with some support if you don't have any, because I do think it is a time where getting that feedback from others, what you all are saying is just tremendously helpful. Um, so I so appreciate that. Um, just moving on to the next question. The next question um, is, I am worried about going from isolation to sensory overwhelmed. What can help? And um, I, you know, I do think that is in, in thinking of routines, I know you guys have talked about that, but I think about our world and, you know, just the transition when, you know, we would go from school to vacation would be sometimes tough or back. And this is a huge routine that we've gotten used to being at home and now we're moving into a new one. So, and there's that issue that was brought up in this question around isolation to sensory overwhelm. What ideas do you guys have on that? I think baby steps, again, preparation. I think if we've, if there's a theme and what we've talked about like is grace, right? How do you like for parents too, how do you have compassion for yourself for what you're, and how do you prepare for that? But, um, and then for, for your little ones, how do you, and you're naturally, my lens is always with little ones. I apologize for parents of older kids. I just work with kids under, uh, under three, but, uh, how do you prepare and take baby steps and, and hopefully, um, are able, again, that's not always possible, but make, make some progressive steps towards, um, or towards a very sensory Kind of intense experience right so is it taking a walk right is it going to the park right um and kind of work your way towards um what that i outing that you're fearing is right like the outing that you know is going to be really hard how do you progressively work towards it and and um and kind of add elements and see how your child is responding and then take some steps back um when when they need a little bit of time to adjust and and, and then 
go back, right? Sometimes it might be um, two step forwards and one step back or, so again, preparation, progressive steps. Um, I love what Felicia was saying around like, you know, we tend to be black and white and sometimes in our thinking of, of having an overall experience, this experience was overall this, but then actually forcing ourselves to think what were the positive parts to it? I really, really like that. And so after any type of out, outing, having kind of a debrief, whether it's that with yourself or with someone of saying, what was the, the pieces that were helpful and what were the pieces that were more challenging so that it's, so that you kind of learn more about, um, about that experience. I think I absolutely agree with you, Peggy. You know, it's about prepping. It's about thinking about where you will start. I mean, you won't go from being on your back as a baby to running the next day, right? It's progressive steps. And, and, you know, I echo and absolutely agree with what has been sort of discussed so far that success can look different in different individuals, in, in different people, in different families. And to give yourself the permission that even when you, when you have a well thought prepared plan, it might not go as well as you thought it would be. And to give yourself the permission that it's okay and we'll go back and we'll start, right? And so, so, so prepping absolutely small steps, you know, taking the joy and sort of appreciating the small steps that have been successful and to not go from being on your back to running as your goal, right? The next step is, is not running. It's probably finding, okay, can you turn a little bit? <laughs> oh, that's so helpful. That's so, so helpful. Um, I, I, I think it's helpful in getting the, just thinking it from so many different, and, and for me as a, as a parent, I think I, I get sometimes so stuck on, like, what are those strategies? What, what can we do? But there's also that piece of just giving yourself and your children, you know, some, some space. And, and I think that like makes me want to take a ah, big breath and, and, um, and really hear that. So I appreciate that very much. Any other thoughts on that from isolation to sensory overwhelm and what can help? I think a, a lot of it ha also has to do with so small steps plus breaks. Um, this is not going to be a real, um, like this is not gonna necessarily be a progression that will go maybe easily. And so like giving the permission for it to slide back a little bit and then move forward and that that's okay. That, um, you know, your kid's not going to be, or, or, you know, the person that you're working with may not be always moving in the smooth direction forward. And sometimes they'll balk at like, oh my gosh, this is a big deal. Stop, just wait. Um, and that's okay too. Okay, wow, thank you all. You are so, this is so helpful. Um, the, the, the last question, and you know, I can definitely, I think this goes with a lot of what we've talked about, but I can, I can definitely feel this question. Um, how will I reassure um, 
his anxiety, fear, and worry about COVID. My daughter has autism and a weakened immune system. I'm worried if I go back to work and bring COVID home, she will get it. Wearing a mask gives me panic attacks and I'm worried for my daughter's safety. Wow. I think what there's we... a few different portions of this question that we can um, kind of just refer back to is that success um, can be in different ways, looks different ways, just like um, Seema said. It, I think everybody has a fear of COVID at some point and at some stage. Um, and everybody has difficulty wearing masks. And so knowing that your success and your progress doesn't have to look like everybody else's. If that means that you're able to wear your mask for two to three minutes without inducing a panic attack for yourself, then that's progress for you. Um, and as far as um, being worried for her daughter's safety, I think everybody's worried for everybody's safety. Um, even children are worried for their parents' safety, whatever it may be. Um, but just even knowing that you're not alone and that doesn't, I don't believe that provides any comfort or any, that doesn't fix any situation. Um, but I think everybody is worried about everybody. I think I also want to echo that this is so scary for this mother or father, you know, for this individual. Um, and I think it, it is particularly more scary when you have an individual in your family who poses a greater risk of getting infected and the virus being potentially fatal, right? So I, I mean, as I'm sitting with it, I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, you are so brave for having to sit with this. I mean, it's already hard with all the changes with the unpredictability of this virus and how as a society, we, we still don't know much and we're trying hard to keep it safe. But for this parent to, to sit with that, but then hold another reality for themselves, which poses much more greater risk and, 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 and fear, right? Fear for life. Like I, and, I, and I want to acknowledge that this is so scary and I cannot imagine how, how frightened this individual is. And, and it makes sense why they have panic attacks, it makes sense why they're probably consumed by the safety of their family and their loved ones. And I, and I want to acknowledge that they're brave. They're brave to ask that question and to be in that space for their family. I, I agree with you, Seema. I think, um, I think parents are holding a lot right now and somewhat the weight of their shoulders, the weight of the world, sorry, I'm not always good with sayings the weight of their wor the world on their shoulders, right? And particularly parents that are also holding um, worries around, um, around their child's well-being um, and multiple layers around that, right? And so um, as a parent myself of a child with special needs, you know, one of the first conversation I've had was over the phone with our pediatrician um, was also around like, how can I understand the risk um, with COVID, with my child's particular diagnosis. And also I've had that conversation a few times because we're learning more about COVID right now, right? 
what we know now versus what we knew three months ago um, makes it, so I, I really encourage um, this particular parent and other parents who are experiencing the exact same thing is to reach out to uh, your provider as well, your pediatrician, and to talk about like, these are my worries, what do you know, right? Because pediatricians are definitely like um, staying up to date with what the risks are. Um, and so um, again, kind of um, compassion around what you're holding, who is your team that can help you, and how do you feel okay also asking those questions and not keep them quiet, right? And just say, I'm worried, this is my child's condition, what do we know, right? Um, and so that, so that as time goes on, we might also have more answers around what is the risk of COVID with particularly with particular special needs as well, right? Um, but, but also holding what Seema said, this is a really hard time and that, that fear is, is present um, and, um, and, and it's really difficult right now to hold that. I really liked the idea of talking to your doctor. Um, one of my best resources lately has been my primary care doctor and um, asking her like, so what do you think, how risky is such and such a situation? And what do you think I can do that would mitigate some of that risk? Um, and so getting practical ideas from her was really helpful to understand what my risk was as a person maybe trying to go back into the workplace and um, trying to remember all of those things. You know, you don't necessarily retain all those every single conversation, but they're really, really helpful. And also kind of give an idea to the doctor that you're working with um, about what you're worried about and why it's such a, a big thing and, and maybe even why you're kind of like holding yourself away from the general community because of your worries about this. But it is such a big thing for many of us to deal with who is at highest risk and who is, um, you know, highest risk within my family group and how do I keep them safe? Those are all really good questions to ask and think about, but also to try and give yourself a breath that you will do the things that are best for you and your family. And um, even though mask wearing may cause you anxiety, you could do other things that would be really helpful to reduce the amount of risk. So. Uh, so good, you all, so helpful. And um, yeah, I, I, I can't thank you enough um, for these thoughtful, incredible ideas um, that are practical, but also very thoughtful about where we're all at right now. Um, I, I wanted just to add that if you go to um, our CDD, Center for Development and Disability website, go to the um, autism portal and look at the autism office hours listing we um, actually also have some other webcasts that have been posted um, and one of them is decreasing stress while living with autism and social distancing so 
you might check out some of those other titles because they also might be helpful as a resource. Um, but with what Dana just said, I think that would be a great place for us to end is, is what she was just saying is, is to take a breath and, um, and uh, do the, the best we can and reach out to those supports. And if you need help with connecting with supports, then again, call the Autism Family and Provider Resource Team. Um, I want to thank these incredible uh, professionals for joining us this morning, for sharing your wisdom with the community. Um, I, I want to give a shout out again to Jamie Swalby and Debbie Montana for their thoughtfulness in the creation of this project. And, uh, and we are thinking about you families out there in the communities and we will be reaching out with more titles to get uh, your questions. So thank you so much for being here today.